0: Beloved, the three parables, as I'm going to call them, in Matthew 25 are carefully arranged. First, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Second, the parable of the talents. And finally, if one might call it this, the parable of the final judgment. In the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, which we saw last week, the lesson was, be prepared. Be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ, because you don't know the day nor the hour, verse 13, wherein the Son of Man cometh. Be prepared because the bridegroom tarries. He takes a lot longer to come back than the church expects. Therefore, you must be prepared. Patient, watchful waiting is necessary. We must be ready when the Lord comes. Even if he comes as he does in the parable at midnight when the church had almost lost hope that he would come. In the parable of the talents, our subject this morning, the lesson is be busy while you wait. Watching for the Lord's coming, does not mean idleness. And that's proved with this second parable in Matthew 25. And so the parable of the talents, beloved, complements or adds something to the parable of the virgins. In both parables... Jesus depicts the state of the church which is waiting for his coming because the virgins, the ten virgins on the one hand, and the servants in this parable of the talents, they depict professing Christians, professing members of the kingdom and church of God and therefore this parable, like the last parable, like all parables has application to us. And then we have, next time God willing, the climax, which is the actual coming of Jesus and the actual day of judgment depicted in the third parable, the parable of the final judgment. We ought to then identify the main elements of the parable as we begin, as we usually do. The man traveling into a far country, verse 14, and then returning, that man is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord died on the cross, rose again from the dead, And then in his ascension, he went on a journey into a far country. Similar to another parable where a king goes off to a far country to obtain a kingdom. Here, a man goes off into a far country and he will return, says the parable, after a long time verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so these two parables, the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents, both teach us that there will be a considerable delay between the ascension of Jesus and then his return on the last day. And so Jesus was warning his church, do not expect me to come quickly In the sense of next week, or a month from now, or ten years from now, or whatever it might be. But expect to be waiting for a long time. And while you wait, watch the ten virgins and work this parable. The three servants then, beloved, in the parable represent professing Christians in the visible church. They are servants. And that word servant, as you probably know, means slaves. And a slave belongs to his master, body and soul. And these three servants then belong to, or at least they profess to belong to, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they belong to him because he has purchased them for himself. And so these three servants have been bought, or at least they profess to have been bought, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these three servants then have a calling, a calling to serve the Lord while they wait for his coming. And there is, of course, one main difference between this parable and a very similar one, which is the parable of the pines. We looked at that a number of weeks ago. In this parable, each servant receives a different amount. One receives five, one receives two, and one receives one. Whereas in the other parable, the parable of the pounds, each servant received the same. Each received one pound. But both parables have essentially the same idea, which is to be faithful in using what the Lord has given. Notice then, Faithfully using the Lord's talents. Faithfully using the Lord's talents. Notice first the calling, and then the diligence, and finally the reward. We must identify the talents. Because the word talent here is often misunderstood. It does not mean what we in modern English refer to as a talent. We think of a talent in modern English as an ability or a gift that certain people have which perhaps other people do not have. Some people are talented in music or in sport or in some other field. And we call such people talented people. And we admire them. And if they're really, really talented, we pay them a lot of money in our society to do the things for which they have great (coughs) gifts and talents. And we look up to them and we say, I wish I were as talented in singing or in music or in whatever as that other person is. But that's not the meaning of the word talent in the parable. Nor is it a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is an ability, an aptitude, a power or position, whether natural or supernatural, graciously given by the Holy Spirit to an individual believer in order to edify the body of the church. In the early New Testament church, there were various spiritual gifts. Tongues, prophecy, miracles, healings. And the Spirit still gives spiritual gifts today, not the extraordinary gifts of revelation, but we speak, for example, in Romans 12 of ministry, exhortation, ruling, showing mercy, If that were the meaning of the word talent in the parable, then you would have this as the application. Identify what you're good at, your natural gift perhaps, your natural aptitude for something, and then use that gift or that aptitude, that talent, to glorify God. Then you see what happens in the church. Everyone is looking to find out what his or her talent or gift might be. Is it music? Is it sport? Is it art? Is it writing? Is it public speaking? What is it? And then once a person has identified what he or she believes to be his gift, then he says, I must use my gift in the church because it's my talent. I must use my talent. And then women say, I am gifted in teaching. I should be behind the pulpit. And the young people say, we are gifted in music. We should have a praise band. Well, there are all kinds of gifts and all kinds of aptitudes and abilities in the church. And of course, we ought to use them as best we can, but that's not the meaning of the word talent in the parable. Notice that Jesus distinguishes in verse 15 between the word talent and the word ability. Verse 15, And unto one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, To every man according to his several ability. So there are talents and there are abilities. And those two things are distinguished because Jesus gives his people talents according to their (coughs) abilities. The word talent in the Bible means a sum of money. Silver or gold was measured in that day according to talents. In our day, one talent is about 30 kilograms or 60 pounds of precious metal. And that word talent, of course, also appears in another parable. You probably know which one. The unforgiving talent or unmerciful servant of Matthew 18. In that parable, a certain man is in debt. He owes 10,000 talents, which is, of course, a huge sum of money. And Jesus uses that term talents to illustrate that sin is a debt. And in this parable, then, money is also meant because we have three sums of money, five talents, two talents, one talent. But the meaning is not money as such, the money is a symbol for something else. The talents then are positions or spheres of labor and service in the kingdom in which a man or woman might serve God to the best of his ability. Your talent is your position or sphere of labor and service in the church and kingdom of God. That's your talent. And God has given to you that place, that position, that sphere of labor and service according to his perfect wisdom... And according to your ability, he knows your ability, he's put you in a certain position in which he says to you, serve me in this position with the talents which I have given to you. Notice the sovereignty of the Lord in this parable, verse 15 and unto one he gave five talents. Why? Because it pleased him. Unto another he gave two talents. Why? Because it pleased him. Unto another he gave one talent. Why? Because it pleased him. According to his several ability. So picture it this way, then, beloved. One man he receives five talents. The Lord puts him in a prominent position. He has five talents. The Lord gives him great opportunity of service, and that position is given to him according to his ability, because the Lord wisely knows the ability of his various servants. He's the man with five talents, The second man, he receives two talents, which is a position which is less prominent, a narrower sphere of service. And the Lord gives him two talents because he wisely sees that this man has less ability than the first man. And so he gives to him two talents. And yet with two talents, he has much opportunity to serve the Lord. And the third man receives one talent. He has the least ability. And so Christ places him in the least influential, in the least powerful position. But even with one talent, this third man has much opportunity to serve the Lord and is required, even with the one talent, to serve the Lord faithfully. And as you will see as the parable proceeds and progresses, each of these servants has a very different attitude to the talents that they have been given. And our question is not, I wonder how many talents God has given to me. You don't know how many talents the Lord has given to you. The question is rather this. What is your attitude toward the talents that God has given to you? And how do you respond when you say, the Lord has given me this place, this position, this sphere of influence, these responsibilities, and then you look at your neighbor in the church and you say, well, the Lord has given to him a different place from me, His place is more prominent than mine. Or you look at another person and say, well, that person has a less prominent position than I have. He has fewer talents, I dare say, than I do. What is your attitude to the talents? And then how does the attitude then determine how you live? Because, of course, there is temptation here. And the temptation is spelled out when you look at what the one talent servant does. There's temptation here to be proud. Proud. Look at me. I have five talents. Look at him. He has only two talents, or he has only one talent. And that's pride, of course, because... We have not earned our talents. We have not merited them. They are not ours, really. They belong to Christ. Christ is pleased to give them to us for a time. And if you say, well, I got five talents because of my superior ability, be careful, because your ability is also from the Lord. And the greater the ability the Lord has given to you, and therefore the greater the talent that you have received, the heavier is your responsibility to give account to the Lord about how you used your talent. And then, of course, there's also the temptation to be envious and dissatisfied. If you grumble, I only got two talents, I wanted five, you displease the Lord. If you complain, God gave my neighbor more talents than he gave to me, you displease the Lord. God has the right to place us in whatever position it pleases him. Perhaps he puts you in an obscure place. You serve the Lord in that obscure place. Perhaps he puts you in a prominent place. You serve the Lord in that prominent place. You serve the Lord faithfully. You serve the Lord humbly. Here's what God said in another parable. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? Do not then question the Lord's wisdom. He knows your ability and he knows the number of talents he will give to you. Scripture then condemns these sins of pride and envy. Every servant must be thankful for his abilities, for his position, and for his opportunities to serve the Lord. Whatever the position or sphere of labor and service assigned to you is, it is a privilege to serve the Lord. Remember, we are servants, we're not masters, we're not lords were servants. We learn that in the Heidelberg Catechism way back in the very beginning, Lord's Day 1. I am not mine own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our comfort. That's what we live out of. We do not deserve to serve the Lord Jesus. Our service of the Lord, our Privilege in serving the Lord was purchased for us at the price of the blood of Jesus. Jesus delivered us from the bondage of sin. He redeemed us from the tyranny of the devil. We are now free from sin to serve Him the Lord. Therefore, it would be ingratitude to say to God, I will serve the Lord but only in a more prominent place. I will serve the Lord, but only if I have a greater sphere of influence and service. I will serve the Lord, but not in this place and not in lowly obscurity. That was the sin of the third servant in the parable who received one talent. Effectively he says I would have served the Lord if I had been given five talents but I will not serve the Lord with one talent. In addition we are stewards of the Lord's property. Verse 14 says he called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. A steward does not own the property it remains the Lord's but the steward is allowed to and must use that property and so the talents in the parable beloved are not ours to do with whatever we want they're his they're loaned to us you might say for a time and we're called to use them for his glory Serve him then, whether you have five talents, or two talents, or one talent, or half a talent, or a quarter of a talent. Whatever it might be, serve the Lord with what he gives to you. That's what two of the servants did. Christ here commends their diligence. Two servants diligently and faithfully went to work trading with the Lord's talents. They get these talents in their hand, as it were, five talents and two talents, and they view this service of the Lord as a great honor as well as a great responsibility. And both men go to the markets, and both men double their money. The first servant is successful, five talents become ten. The second servant is also successful. Two talents become four. And these men are representative of a a wide variety of possible outcomes. Some servants might double their money. Some servants might perhaps add 50%. Some servants might treble their money. Some servants might add only 15%. That's not the issue. The issue is not success. The issue is faithfulness. Well done, says the Lord, thy good and faithful servant. Besides that, our service is tainted with sin, so that even the most successful servant or the most faithful servant is in constant need of forgiveness. Perhaps Some only gain a small return on the Lord's talent. Nevertheless, they did not waste the talent. They did not steal or squander it. They entered into honest trading, and they gained a return. And these first two servants then are examples to us. We must use the Lord's goods while we wait for his coming. Now, of course, we're not here talking about money, taking your actual money and investing it and making it larger. That's not the idea, seeking a profit. The idea here is spiritual trading and spiritual gains for the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea here is serving the Lord and glorifying Him in whatever sphere the Lord has put you, whether it be in a prominent position as a theological professor or behind a pulpit of 5,000 people or whether it be in the home or at school or in the workplace, whatever it might be, that's where you are to serve the Lord. Lord and the Lord puts you in whatever position he puts you for a reason and the Lord calls you to serve him there for a reason and perhaps the Lord restricts the possibilities in your life perhaps you'd like to do some great work for the Lord but the Lord has restricted you by giving you a crippling illness or perhaps he's given you weaknesses or the limitations of old age. For some people, he has put them in prison because they have been persecuted and cast into prison. Some people are lying on a hospital bed for many, many years or living in isolation. They're called, though, despite their limitations, to serve God where God has put them. Some are office bearers, ministers, elders, deacons. Some are parents. Some are missionaries, some are rich, some are poor. Some have opportunities, many opportunities. Others have few opportunities. God determines those things as he distributes the talents according to the several abilities of his servants. And that's what these men did. The first servant did not spend his time observing what the second servant was doing, perhaps criticizing him. He was busy in his own sphere of service. And the second servant did not envy the first servant and say, I wish I had as many opportunities and a high position like he does, and then refused to work with his two talents nor did he boast against the third servant with one talent, but he lived faithfully with the two talents which were given to him. And both those men received the same response from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, verse 21. And again, verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then there's a sharp contrast, of course. And there often is a sharp contrast in these parables. The first two servants were faithful, the five talents and the two talents faithful. But the third servant is unfaithful. And his unfaithfulness is in this. He's Slothful, he's lazy, he doesn't work. Verse 26, thou wicked and slothful servant. What was his wickedness? His wickedness was not that he took his talent and invested it in the service of sin. course he did do that in other ways but that wasn't his wickedness his wickedness was this he buried the talent he buried it you understand of course the rationale is caution not better than foolish recklessness I dare not he thinks to himself waste or lose this talent But that's an excuse he has, because really he is disobedient. This third servant knew that the master's commandment was to use the talent. And this servant then is lazy. He is slothful. And his chief sin, as will come out, is his dissatisfaction with the Lord's talent. And because he is dissatisfied with what the Lord has given to him, he refuses to do anything productive with it. And there are people like that in the church and in the kingdom of God. They are dissatisfied with their place in the church, and therefore they refuse to serve where God has placed them. They don't like the talent that they have been given, they wish they had more or a different place, and they refuse to serve God where he has placed them. In the Catechism, we learn this about the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done. That petition of the Lord's Prayer is interpreted thus, Grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will which is only good so that everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. This servant refuses to do that because he does not like His station and calling. The talent really is a reference to his station and calling, especially his station, his position. If a man is not satisfied with his station and calling, he will do a number of things. He will seek a higher position for himself and ruin himself and the church because he is motivated by pride or he will refuse to work in the position where God in wisdom has placed him. And both of those things are really the same idea. They're both motivated by pride. And pride, beloved, is extremely destructive. It destroyed Lucifer. It destroys many. If he cannot have five talents, he will not serve God with one. He refuses to serve God at all. And since he is not serving God, he has all kinds of time to wreak havoc in the church and kingdom. A pastor, for example, in a small congregation, refuses to work diligently with a small flock because he is never called to serve a large congregation. And his attitude is, my gifts are wasted here. I deserve a better place. And if I get a better place, then I'll serve the Lord, but not here, not in this small place. Or the member who has never chosen for the special offices of elder or deacon says, well, if I can't serve in the the special offices, then I will not serve in the church at all. And he becomes a busybody and a critic in the church, criticizing what the office bearers are doing because he Is filled with bitterness that he was never elected to be an office bearer. And so he buries his talent in the ground and finds all kinds of time to criticize and undermine the work of the other servants. And that shows us, of course, that the third servant in the parable does not value the Lord's talent does not say to himself, I have received one talent from the Lord. And this one talent from the Lord is exceedingly precious. It's the Lord's. He's given it to me. Instead, he despises it and he resents it. He says, I cannot do anything with this one talent. I refuse to do anything with this one talent. Or perhaps he does the minimum amount of work to appear as if he's doing something in the church. But he's not joyful and he's not thankful. He's bitter and he's angry in the way he goes about his daily task. And the parable ends, as parables often do, with the master's return to take an account we begin with the one talent servant. The one who got the one talent makes excuses and complains against his master. He says, verse 24 Lord, I knew thee, that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. Here is this man's estimation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, this man is a confessing member of a church, a confessing believer Here is his view, here is his attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou art an hard man. That's how the wicked view Christ. Hard, harsh, strict, cruel. And how could the man say that about Christ except that he had never tasted the Lord's mercy? Unbelievers in the church, then, they serve Christ outwardly, hypocritically, without any love. They do so out of fear. I feared thee. The Belgian Confession says this in Article 24. Without faith, we would never do anything out of love for God, but only out of self-love or fear of damnation. Here is one who feared the Lord in a bad sense. And this shows us that he was an unbelieving hypocrite. And then he pours out his frustration and bitterness before the Lord. Lord, he says, you reap where you do not sow, you gather where you did not scatter. You gave me one talent. And you expected a good harvest from one talent. You expected a good return from one talent. My gifts were not recognized. I was restricted. You put me in a lowly place where I could do nothing. Here is your one talent back. I am now rid of it the Lord then judges this man from his own mouth. This man is not a badly treated servant oppressed by an unreasonable master. That's not the Lord's estimation. The Lord's estimation is this. He's a wicked, slothful, idle, lazy, worthless servant who sneered at his master's goods and despised his master's talent. Christ, remember, gave this man his abilities and in perfect wisdom assigned this man one talent according to his ability. And so this man ought to have taken that one talent and at the very least, says Christ, have invested it, given it to the money exchangers so that it would have made some usury or interest but he did not do even that. And so he's punished. He's stripped of that talent and cast into hell, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse twenty eight Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents, for unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But that's, beloved, not where we end. We ought not end on such a negative note. There were two faithful servants. And that's the key, beloved. They are faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, he says. The Lord does not measure success. The Lord measures faithfulness. And notice that the Lord makes no essential difference between the man who gained five and the man who gained only two. He says to them both, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Both gained something. Both were faithful in a little thing. Both were rewarded. And the first servant who made five more talents had ten. He receives the unused talent from the, fir- from the third servant. And he ends up with eleven Both enter into the joy of their Lord. Both go to heaven. Not because, or on the basis of their works, of course, not because they merited the reward of everlasting life, but the reward is of grace. Salvation is of grace, and the reward is also of grace. Notice, Everything that these men have, they receive from Christ. Christ gave them the talents. Christ gave them the ability to use those talents. Christ gave them their position. The talents were always Christ's. Christ forgives the weaknesses and sins with which we serve him. And so Christ is not a hard man. He's not a cruel and exacting master as if he were Pharaoh who expects you to make bricks while he gives you no straw. Christ is in fact a merciful and gracious Lord. It is the greatest privilege in all the earth to serve the Lord Jesus, whether it be in a prominent position or in a lowly position. Position. And then there's the reward. What is that reward? The joy of the Lord. That reward, beloved, far surpasses even the greatest service. And that then becomes an incentive. The Lord sets forth this reward as an incentive, an incentive for faithful and diligent service. Serve the Lord, whether you have five talents or two talents or even one talent. Serve the Lord in whatever position he has placed you in because he is gracious and he is worthy of your service in thankfulness. him. Amen.